What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Celtic Talk podcast. And yes, we finally have games to react to. And for that, I brought in my good friend DJ Bean to break it down. DJ, let's start. I want to jump right in. Biggest overall reaction to that first preseason game, the Celtics losing down in Philadelphia. Well, I'm choosing to ignore any of the bad things because that's what we get to do with preseason. <laughs> we were saying this on Boston Sports Night. The best thing about the preseason is so a la carte how you get to react. Anything bad that happens, unless it's an injury, like oh, I'm not reading into that. But anything good that happens, like like uh, Pritchard or Teague, is an amazing thing because obviously we're going to be worried about uh, Kemba Walker's knee probably the whole season, probably the rest of his time in Boston. Maybe I'm being a little doom and gloom there, but. <laughs> Jeff T kind of factors into that. If he can be a thing, then the Celtics are at least in business as they chase a higher seed in the East while they wait for Kemba to return. I'm not saying that they can lose Kemba and not have him in the playoffs and it'll be fine because of Jeff T. I don't think any of us expect that to happen. But in the meantime, while they're chasing seeding, which I think they're probably going to do this year, I don't think that there'll be a, hey, we can sit back casually and just grab the four or five seed and we're just good enough to kind of LeBron our way out of the East. I don't imagine they'll do that. So I think the Teague's going to be really important this season and uh, certainly an encouraging debut. So it's, it's funny because I'm the same way. I've actually been kind of surprised. Like normally Celtics Twitter will just find the doom and gloom to, oh, to yeah. harp on. But like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown had pretty bad games and pretty like last luxer debuts. And everyone's like, Aaron Neesmith hit a three-pointer. And so uh, I appreciate that people are trying to, to, to cling to the good here. Uh, I thought it was a little bit all over the map. In, in, in general, I thought the team did not look great. I think there's defi- definite worries about how they're going to navigate this early part of the season. And yet, you know, I can't sit here and every night on BST, I'm sitting here screaming like, be patient. The first part of the season is going to be very much about draft, about developing these draft guys and trying to get, uh, see what you've got. Um, but certainly, I'm, then I start thinking, geez, like Milwaukee's here on opening night and then Brooklyn it's a daunting path. Uh, I want to get into the rookies later in this episode. You'll hear my sit down interview from media day with Aaron Neesmith. We have a little fun, especially about fast food options down in South Carolina. I hope you stick around for that. Uh, Here's the, let's get right into it. I thought Peyton Pritchard, uh, probably the the biggest positive to take away for the Celtics. Here's a guy drafted late first round, some grumbles because he was a four year guy. And this is the way the draft works. Now we all want 19 year olds who are going to have this huge ceiling but Peyton Pritchard comes in, sort of shows that, hey, he's, he's, he's a, almost a savvy vet. I think he might be older than both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum at this point. Wow. Uh, and, but, like, you can throw him out there, and he's decent uh, and gave you a little something. What did you think of Peyton Pritchard? I, I was very pleasantly surprised. I mean, I didn't watch him play in college, but I think the optics of it and the optics of the selection, just given that it's so on the record that the Celtics – didn't get, or obviously on the record, we know what rosters look like, that the Celtics didn't get Tyler Hero and that they were pretty bummed out over that. Like, it seemed like on paper, maybe a reaction to that. And are you actually getting a Tyler Hero type when you make this pick? So I thought there was a very high chance that maybe this kid's nothing and they're just trying to make up for something they tried and failed at a year ago. But again, like, if he can play, and look, like, Neesmith, I'm not... I'm not throwing in the towel on Neesmith. Like I I did not have the, yes, he hit a three reaction. I had the yes, Grant hit a three reaction, but (laughs) Neesmith, I had more of a, he hit one of five threes reaction, but Pritchard shooting great, 
playmaking great. Even I know it was like the final minute of the game, but he had a nice little give and go in that final minute of the game. And I was I starting to write down in my notes and I was like, against what though? <laughs> final bit of the preseason game. But like with Jeff Teague, if if Pritchard is a thing, then the Celtics are in in good shape, better shape than I expected. And that's the thing. It's like we heard in the sort of, again, we haven't seen a lot of camp because we're not allowed to be there. So it's been weird. It's like, is Neesmith hitting threes in practice and we just don't know about it? Is what's Pritchard doing? Because there was a buzz about him and his intensity and his Marcus Smart-like grit. I think he's got a good feel for the game. Again, that's why you can feel confident that they can throw him out there in 10, 15 minutes a night. And he's not going to be, you know, have his head below water. He's going to be able to, 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 to be serviceable and give you a little something. I think that's super encouraging. I did the same thing. I sat there at the end of the night. I was like, wow, he had 16 points. And then 12 were in the fourth quarter. The lineups weren't the best there at the end. But I still think uh, one of the bigger positives is that he just seems ready. And again, veteran guy, veteran guy, uh, no, tr- no summer league, no training camp, really. Two preseason games, off we go. He's going to have to be an NBA player. But that's sort of what the Celtics are dealing with. Neesmith's interesting to me because, you know, we all were sitting there midway through the third quarter. We're like, are we going to get to see him tonight? And he finally got in there, hit that first step back three pointer over Ben Simmons, a nice moment. Got torched defensively a couple times. I mean, he had a couple other other instances where you could see he can potentially, as he gets comfortable at the NBA level, it'll he can develop and and uh, and be a serviceable defender. But right now, he got blown by a couple times. He was he lost uh, Curry at one point. You can't do that. So you can see why Brad Stevens is is treading cautiously with them. How much do you think they're going to have to lean on those rookies this year? When you look at the, the construct of this roster and knowing Kemba's not going to be ready, you know, are you worried that they're just going to have to throw them in there and, and, and let them sort of figure out their way? I think so, but it kind of excites me. Like, I, I think that, that when, hey, what do you want from the Celtics? What is the Celtics' path to be in the, the best team that they can, can possibly be with this roster? Neesmith being really good as a rookie and coming in off the bench and scoring and hitting threes, that's a, that's a terrific outcome. The question I have with that is, though, how realistic does Brad Stevens find that? How realistic do you or me find that, just given that we're all so behind right now, especially with rookies, given that there was no summer league, given that there's a shortened training or a shortened training camp in preseason? Like, I wonder if Brad Stevens looks at this roster and is like, yeah, I'm going to have to depend on these guys, but is this a lofty ask and it, it has to be a loftier ask than in seasons past and what's what's crazy is that like Danny Ainge just sort of forced his hand like in past seasons Brad has been able to say I'm going to lean on my veteran guys I'm just going to go for seeding you know this year Danny's like well you know no Kemba no Tristan we're going to bring these guys along slowly you've sort of got to play these young guys but I think it's important for the overall first off you got to start developing guys to, to put around this core that's super expensive after starting next season when Tatum's deal kicks in and you need tradable assets. And so look, some of these guys might get exposed. We were talking before we jumped on, like, what is Carson Edwards? Like, not a great look last night. It's fair to be disappointed that it just hasn't clicked. You know, he's the poster child for these for these preseasons, right? Like last year, you know, he goes off for those eight three-pointers in a quarter in Cleveland. We're ready to anoint him the microwave score off the bench. And then we barely see him after October. So, uh, you know, you don't want to get too high, too low off of what we see. But I think more than anything, we just need to see these guys play, you know, okay. Robert Williams has to have bad stretches and, you know, but then be able to bounce back and have like he did in the second quarter last night and look good. 
Uh, I think that's just part of the development. I think Brad's got to be okay with that, that, you know, they might lose some games. They might look bad at times, uh, but it, 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 it's part of the process of developing those guys. I, I, invariably, I have to have a Time Lord segment on this program. Again, didn't have a great first stint. Thought he looked a, a little, he tends to be a little bit overhyped when he gets his chance. I thought he came back with better energy in his second stint. You know, where are you at on the, on the, on, on, on the Time Lord confidence meters, like one to 10? If I told you that Time Lord has to be like a 15, 20 minute a night guy, are you comfortable with that? I mean, based on what I saw late in the bubble, Yes, but I'm I'm with you on the overhyped thing. That that always has kind of been a thing with with Robert Williams. Like he's so athletic and so energetic that I mean I, I remember early in his career, uh, Luke Bonner would know like, hey, like he yeah yes he's everywhere, but he's also jumping way out of position. Like when he jumps like eight feet across the court, that looks really cool. But he's probably eight feet away from where he was supposed to be. You know, so like he, he, he does seem really wound up at points. Uh, Tommy Giles, actually, we have a, 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 a viewer, reader, whatever question from Tommy Giles. He wanted to, me to ask you how you thought Time Lord looked defensively. So here's the thing. He knows he's got me pinned against the wall here. I've been screaming about Time Lord for like two years now. He finally gets a big opportunity and it wasn't great. I'll be completely honest. Like, the thing with Time Lord is he has to be more disciplined and if nothing else, he has to be in the right spots. And there were times where he let him be get too deep. He got muscled at one point during that first stint. And I thought it was telling Brad pulled him right after about six minutes and put Grant in. And it was sort of a sign to me that says, come on, man, like we're just looking for you to show some progress and we haven't seen it. All that said, again, I thought the second stint he came back in, he calmed down. He was playing with energy. And when he doesn't overthink things, when he just plays and lets those natural abilities take over, he's so much better. He had that one loud block, but he, then he was in transition, threw down a dunk. It just feels like it takes him a little while to just settle in. And I think maybe that will become more instinctual as he gets more playing time. And so that's why, again, I think you just have to throw him out there and let him, let him weather some of these storms. But let's face it, like going up against Embiid, is a tough matchup for anybody. So I, I don't want to overreact too much. I'd be interested to see him against other centers. And again, he's going to be playing against mostly backups because you're going to have Tristan or Tice or somebody in there. Uh, all that being said, yeah, it's like I was hoping that this entire 24-hour span would be nothing but Time Lord hype and like, okay, he finally showed what he could do. He played 30 great minutes. That's not the case. He's still got uh, development to do. He's still got to just be more disciplined. Um uh, I wish I wish he was the focal point here, but not when we're talking about Peyton Pritchard and, and Jeff right. Teague as, uh, as as the as the focal points. Let me ask you this, because for the Celtics as a whole, you know, again, we didn't get to see really what they're potentially going to be. I know you're really worried about this Kemba knee thing, so I want to give you an opportunity. Like, why is this such a concern for you moving forward? Hey, because he had an off season in the middle of a season and came back and he wasn't ready and I'm not blaming Kemba I'm sad for Kemba I'm a huge Kemba Walker fan oh like I, I won't get into UConn stuff and everything but big Kemba Walker fan was was very excited when they brought him in with even even though I'm a, a Kyrie guy as well I'll, I'll admit like Kyrie's still my favorite player to watch in the NBA I don't know if they're gonna like edit the, that out of the podcast and never let me be <laughs> no we, we're okay with that I actually say that often like well, we'll get into Kyrie in a minute, but I'm with you. 
Right. Like, but I, I, when, when Kemba came in and even preseason games early in the regular season, I was like, well, on one hand, this isn't, this isn't Kyrie. On the other hand, like he's has such a calming way about him and personality wise, he's so perfect for this team. So I, I want nothing more than for Kemba to be healthy and for Kemba to be himself. But when you have months off in the middle of a season and you come back and you're still not quite right with the knee and no one has told me this, but this has been my theory all along when they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. I was like, they have to think that something's up with Kemba bigger than what we're letting on. Because around the time, I think we were in that Kemba plays a couple, misses a couple type of stretch, Mm -hmm. but there was uh, a reassuring uh, like vibe around that whole thing of he's going to be fine. They're just managing him right now. And when they didn't do anything at the trade deadline, it was like, maybe they think that this is more than managing. And maybe they think they're going to be managing it in the postseason. And clearly with him not being ready when they came back, clearly he wouldn't have been right. If they just continued on with the season, like if they forced him to play through that, who knows the, right. the, the quality of what he would have been. So I think they looked at it as, look, this isn't, this isn't the year. This isn't the year to go for it because if Kemba's going to be missing games or if Kemba's not going to be healthy, then we're not, it's, it's not worth making this investment. So I think there are signs, and certainly him not playing right now is one of them, that this isn't a, an isolated small thing. I think this is a unfortunately thing we're going to have to manage. I, I reference all the time the Chris Rock bit where he says, uh, I'm going to talk about the leg. Michael Holly and I maybe 20 times a night on Boston sports tonight say, I'm going to talk about the knee mm-hmm. because unfortunately that's something that's going to linger over the Celtics. So, and maybe I'm just buying the team spin, but I actually think the opposite of with Kemba, I think they were worried about the knee, but I think they were so confident that when he got healthy, that they were a championship level team that that actually made them less likely to spend all those picks. I think that they had known for sure that Kemba's knee was going to be such an issue. They might've been a little bit more proactive in actually adding somebody uh, because I think they were pretty confident that, you know, Gordon was finally healthy. Like clearly the leap that Tatum was making at that point, the way Jalen Brown had come on, I think they sort of looked up and said, wow, you know, this could actually be, we could do something this year, you know, maybe even more than they expected based on the young guys leap. You know, the prices were tough at that point. Like you weren't going to spend two first round draft picks for Davis Bertans, although, you know, like it's fair to sit here and say, well, you know, maybe they should have, you know, because as good as Peyton Pritchard looks like if you could have got him for the 24th and 30th pick, would you do it? Like we, we do tend to overvalue those picks in the moment. And then when you make them, it's like, yeah, they're just late first rounders. But I don't know if, again, you would have had to then pay Davis Bertans and we saw the big deal he got. So there's just like complicating factors there. I think really the only guy they wanted was Marvin Williams and he ended up going to Milwaukee because, Hey, who wouldn't want to go play with Giannis? Um, I think the, 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 the OS moment was when uh, they came back out of the bubble, out of that pandemic. And you're still feeling pretty good about your, your team's chances. And then Kemba gets into his first real workout and it's like, Ooh, that knee still hurts. And they, even then they were like, well, what do we do now? We have a tight window until we start back up. They tried to put him on an accelerated plan. Essentially, the plan they would have wanted to put him on at that point is what they're doing now. And they're just, you know, again, but there's a little bit of crossing your fingers here that when he gets back, it's not going to be an issue. And there's just no guarantee with that um, once he starts ramping up activity. But I do agree. I think 
just something we're going to be talking about all along. And even when I'm watching last night, when Tatum and Brown are struggling, I'm thinking, man, they really need Kemba out there. It's uh, as much as we say, this is Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's team. Now and Kemba factors into this a lot in terms of just taking pressure off of them. And, you know, when I was doing the story before the season about who is the most important player next to them, you know, beyond them, I think it comes back to Kemba. And that's kind of a duh answer because he's an all-star, but he's got, he, he, they got to get him right. And like, as paths to being the best version of themselves go like an easy one is Jalen Jason continue to get better and are both all-star caliber players and Kemba is healthy all-star caliber right next to them then that's fine I think that's the that's potentially the number one seed in the east like they're so close and they're in a mix of I think so many teams right now more than last year certainly in the east that could easily fancy themselves number one seeds in the East. The other scenario, and this is tougher, but maybe more realistic from a Kemba standpoint is you don't necessarily know what you're getting from Kemba Walker and you need Jason Tatum to just take over the freaking world. And then you become a not quite LeBron team of the past, but mm-hmm. a team where like you just clearly have that one guy. And with, with no disrespect to Jalen Brown, he carries the team to wherever mm-hmm. it's going to go. And as exciting as that latter one is, I don't know if it's super realistic to put on Jason Tatum. Okay. Be better than Luka Doncic this season. Like, I, I just don't know if that's realistic. So the one that the one that the, the fans and like jerseys who, who want those, those great all-star moments should want is Jason Tatum to become the best player in the world. But the other one is, Tatum and Jalen keep doing what they're doing realistically and Kemba's healthy. It's a good, good dual path, right? Like if, 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 if while Kemba's out, if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can continue to, to ascend, then you're in a good, a good, a good spot. And then, you know, we can debate how the, whether it's a two-star team, a three-star team, whatever, they can figure that out along the way. Uh, but that is a good way to segue into, well, let's go around the East a little bit. The big news bigger than the Celtics preseason game. Uh, is Giannis signing his Supermax contract to set, stay in Milwaukee. Just a, like, I have no rooting interest for, for, I don't have any friends in Milwaukee except Tranny, you know, like, you know. <laughs> but I, uh, well, true, true. And so, uh, but I feel good for those smaller, uh, smaller market teams that, you know, like I think we all sit here and say, well, duh, of course Giannis wants to go play in Miami. Um, what was your knee-jerk reaction to, Giannis re-signing and sort of the state of the East with him staying in Milwaukee. I also had that elation is way too high, but like pleasantly surprised and happy for Milwaukee, even though I like kind of making fun of Milwaukee and I think that they've generally been overrated for much of Giannis's time there. Giannis certainly has been overrated, but I think the Bucks have been, but then seeing the Supermax in action, and work for its purpose, which you said on one of the shows recently, like this was the purpose of the Supermax yeah. to, to prevent players from saying, look, I, I'm just going to go someplace else. Like you've been cool, but you're Milwaukee dude toodles. <laughs> I'm glad that I got to see this work. And on one hand, I have a fear that Giannis is so good that he can just bring the super team to him that players will say, yeah, I want to go to Milwaukee and play with Giannis. Obviously, I'm talking about higher caliber players than this, but like we mm-hmm. did see that with Marvin Williams, where yeah. he's like, hey, I, yeah, I want to go there. I want to play with Giannis. Like, 
Giannis is so good that he can be the draw. So that's one fear. But the other, and this goes back to the Supermax, is I'm not positive. This is, I'm not trying to set off any alarms or be too negative. Uh-oh. How do I know that Jason Tatum wants to stay here forever? You know? And Boston is obviously a huge market team, but I can't forget Jason Tatum wanting to go to Phoenix and not wanting to be a Celtic <laughs> initially. So who knows like that, that one day down the road after the, these four or five years are up that he is, that he wants to, to bounce and go make a super team somewhere or whatever. So it gave me hope and faith in the Supermax that star players, even Giannis, who is, I mean, one or two, maybe three on your list of greatest players in the world right now mm-hmm. can want to stay and say, hey, this is this this is home. This is where I've made home. This is the organization that that believed in me, that 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 made it happen for me. I was encouraged by that. And I hope of things to come for the Celtics. Are the Bucks legitimate contenders? Yes, yes. And I didn't think that they were last year. I I, I really didn't believe in it just because I think that Chris Middleton's overrated and I, I can get locked into, all right, you guys don't believe this thing as much as I believe it. Therefore, everything about this argument is going to hell. So like, Hey, what do you think Chris Middleton? Oh, no, I, I think that, he, that he's exactly what people say. Are. I'm like, okay, well, well, now I don't believe in anything you say about the bucks. They stink. They're going to be the eighth seed or something. So I uh, didn't believe in them last year was super confident in a potential Celtics matchup with them. Mm-hmm. I was at the game where they didn't have Jalen and yeah. they came back. They had a terrible first half. They shot like 1% and they came back and not only beat the Bucks without Jalen, if memory serves, I'm pretty sure they kind of smoked the Bucks without Jalen. Like they, they might've won that game by like 14, 15 points. And they had the second game later in the season without Jalen that they almost beat the Bucks. So it, Jalen is such an important part of, of the Celtics, certainly more important than like losing Kemba versus losing uh, Jalen Brown. I think that when the Celtics are without Jalen Brown, they're a much, much, much worse team. And the fact that they were able to kind of easily hang with Milwaukee without him made me not fear Milwaukee. Now they're just, they're more loaded. And did they overspend on holiday? It depends on if you factor in that all those picks also mean that they got to keep Giannis. So I I really, I kind of love what the Bucs have done. It it was money well spent or picks well spent because if the end game was to just make sure that Giannis is there, because if you don't have Giannis, it doesn't matter. And I think it was a, it's tough for a GM to go all in like that. And they paid a a steep price, but Drew Holiday is also such an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe that Mm. it, 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 it helps in two ways. Like they're going to, they're going to be really good this year. And now they've got Giannis. So they've got a puncher's chance the rest of the way challenge for Giannis be better in the playoffs. He's been the best player by far during the regular season has been just an absolute uh, dominant player. And now it's time to show that in the postseason. speaking of other uh, juggernauts in the Eastern conference, the Brooklyn Nets coming to Boston oh. on Friday night. Oh, I know. Like we, we, that, I guess that's a debatable topic. Uh, before we hopped on, you were uh, you were telling us about watching, and I, I think you need a hobby because you were watching an Instagram live over the weekend <laughs> with KD and Kyrie, which I mean fascinates me. I, I could not. I, I am just. I can't go on Kyrie and Instagram anymore. I've, I've, I've lived that life, and I'm 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 not cool with it. But 
Uh, we're going to play a little clip, but I, I want you to, to, to drill it down for me uh, after that. And uh, let, let's get to the clip first. So what about seven post-ups instead of eight? I mean, we negotiated. I, think, I thought we was going to do two and a half, or, uh, two and a half post-ups a game. The half one is like, I throw you the ball in the post, and you just throw it right back out to me. No, but I'm also saying I feel like every play down, I have a mismatch, no matter who's in front of me. So I think that that mentality mixed with having that post guard is a great balance, you know, for our squad, for our offense. Yeah, we're going to see, though. All right. Just take it, Deej. Like, I, I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you comment on what we just heard. Okay, so I, I had the rare Sunday off because the Patriots didn't play Sunday. They got smoked on Thursday. Uh, and I got all the football going, like, happiest day of my life. Really focused on all the football. Check Twitter. And I see a video. Someone just says, meanwhile, in Brooklyn. And I was like, I'm, I'm so, why am I so excited to watch this? And it's just a reminder that, yes, Kyrie and Katie are friends. And they want to play with each other. They want to go to Brooklyn. But I don't know. I, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit when people were like, oh, that's not going to work. Look, well, look what happened with Kyrie in Boston. I'm like, well, yeah, well, Kyrie didn't want to be in Boston. And like this, this, this should work because these are two of the best players in the world. And if they're healthy, then watch the, watch the hell out. But then you watch this and you're like, they can't even put on a show together. <laughs> they are the, this was a, this was a, like what we're doing right now. Like we're, 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 we're doing something to show people. It's a little production. We believe in what we're saying. We're being honest, but this is a little little show we're doing right here. Mm -hmm. They couldn't do that without being like, <laughs> "Dude, no!" <laughs> like you, you, and you know this is you know this is conversations they have behind the scenes where like Kyrie is purposely putting it forward in the public eye because he wants to put pressure on Katie to to have more post ups. And so, I mean, uh, it, I I can't wait to see what happens because they looked really damn good in that first preseason mm -hmm. game against the wizards i'll be interested to see how they look against boston i don't you know part of me still we, we won't find out for another little bit here whether they're actually coming up here i assume they will uh but you just never know uh no fans probably makes it more likely right kyrie is willing to come here but then they're right back here on christmas so uh i am super intrigued to see how this all goes there's a high combustibility factor no doubt because you know, Durant's injury and Kyrie, but I just want to see it and I'm glad yeah. we don't have to cover it. Yeah. Can I, can I just ask, how is this season different for you? And like so far the preseason, I know it's only been 18 seconds of preseason so far, <laughs> but this is, this is a first for so many people. Like, but how different is this for you having done the bubble from afar thing? Yeah. So I think the biggest difference, I mean, not just with the bubble, but, you know, just thinking back to like the start of last season, when you're at practice, you see so much, right? Like it's hard for me to say how Aaron Neesmith is progressing when I can't watch him go around the world and shoot three pointers and how he interacts with his teammates and what lineup he's playing with. So it's it, from a reporter standpoint, it's very difficult when you're just, you're trapped with five minutes of zoom a day. You know, and like you're, you have to trust what Brad Stevens is saying. And Brad Stevens doesn't want to talk up rookies because that's not his style. You know, so you might hear uh, Marcus Smart say, oh, Peyton Pritchard had a good hustle play in, in practice today. 
we ain't seen it. You know, like, so I, I think it just adds a layer of difficulty to, to put in context to how these guys go. And we don't get the one-on-one time with them anymore. We, we were fortunate being a broadcast partner. We got to sit down with a lot of these guys last week. And that, like, I got more information out of that than I've gotten out of anything else. And so, you know, whatever you want to call it, we were joking last night, Scout walking around the studio screaming, new normal, new normal. And, you know, we're, we're all just trying to adjust and adapt to it. But, you know, these, that's why these preseason glimpses are so important, because this is the only time I can make an honest opinion about Aaron Neesmith. And I can be like, okay, that, that first three-pointer looked good, but man, he's got some work to do on the defensive end. So that's just the hard part with it. I mean, it, it's still, you know, I've like, I've been in my basement out more than I ever imagined for the, the past nine months. And uh, I'm glad it makes podcasting easier. Zoom shout out, but uh, yeah, I'd like to stop talking to people on zoom, have a human conversation. All That's, that. I mean, at least, and I'm not like, I, it's a, it's a sucky situation, but it's a sucky situation for good reasons, right? A, a, lot, a lot of good reasons. Like, uh, but at least, I don't know. I would imagine you having been around the Celtics forever and at least knowing how the guys tick, maybe you're able to know what to read in versus read into versus what to kind of avoid. Like I imagine like if I was just starting to say, if they just drop me on, I used to cover the Bruins. If they like drop me into the, the Bruins beat, or if they drop me into the Celtics beat, some place was like, Hey, okay. Like you cover this team now. I would feel completely lost given that there's no opportunity to forge the relationships to understand how the guys tick like that's right i feel like even if your position is different and your how much stuff you get is different i'm going to be relying on the people like you who have been around more probably than i ever have Honestly, we're just trying, you're trying to glean every little bit you can from the information that's out there. And I do think that's helpful. I think that's a good point because, you know, I've heard the Brad Stevens spin in the past and I know like, okay, if he's talking this way about a player, maybe I know what's a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes. I can sit there and say the fact that he didn't go to Neesmith until the third quarter, that tells me that when they're in their practice situations, he's comfortable putting Pritchard out there based on what he does defensively and what he's shown on, on the other side, obviously, with the offensive uh, ability. But, you know, so it's, it's little nuggets like that. It's, you know, those, again, if you get two minutes with a guy, you're just trying to see how it's going, how it's, how it's glean, you can, what you can take out of it. So it's, it's, uh, it, it adds a layer to all this. But, you know, at least we have games now. At least we have basketball back. Uh, it's, uh, we're trending in the right direction. Hopefully this – give everybody this vaccine – Let's uh, let's get us back out there and living uh, the the not so new normal. Uh, I want to end here before we get to our our interview with Aaron Neesmith. Uh, just give me like your outlook going into the season. I know you said like it's going to be very much wait and see because so much rides on Kemba and and like the development of the Jays. What do you think is the most likely scenario for the Celtics this season? Like where do you think they end up in the East, and how bullish are you on their chances in the postseason? Uh, I'll answer the second one first and say I'm bullish enough. Like I do not look at this and say, okay, Gordon Hayward's gone. There was a net loss this off season. So they're worse off. I think, and maybe this is a little overstated. I think that the uh, too many cooks situation may be closer to being solved. I don't know if that's ever uh, fully solved while Marcus smart is on the team. And I'm happy that Marcus smart is on the team, but as long as you have, Marcus Smart, 
on on any team and this is what makes Marcus Smart amazing and potentially a little cumbersome is like he wants to take over the world and that that's again that's why he's he's beloved but that dynamic is closer to being fixed with Gordon Hayward gone I think that they should fancy themselves capable of beating any team in the East. And would it be an upset if they beat Milwaukee in the playoffs at this point? Yes. But who knows? Who knows how much better Tatum gets? Who knows how much better Brown gets? And who knows how healthy uh, Kemba Walker is? I think that this is a cop-out. They're like a top four seed right now. No, That's a bold statement considering the state of the East. Right, but so, but I, I could not fill in the other three. I don't know if it's, I don't know what Philly's going to be. I don't know if something goes weird with Brooklyn. I mean, it would be really, it really would be something if the Brooklyn thing did not work out. Yeah. And you saw in that Instagram live thing, like they're definitely not going there to just rest up and hang out. You know, they, Kyrie wants to be the best version of himself. KD wants that team to be the best version of itself. So they are, they didn't just they they didn't just go to camp, you know. They're they're not just taking a little break from the teams they were on to go be with buddies. Like they they're going to want to win. So I'd be astonished, really, if things went that bad. But who knows how the Milwaukee pieces gel? Who knows how the Philly pieces gel? I think Doc Rivers should help that. And who I mean, who knows if James Harden's on that team? So that's the other big thing. Uh, I'm probably doing a little disrespect to Miami here mm-hmm. because uh, Miami obviously is going to be considered by a lot of people to be top one, two, three seed in the East. But I don't know, maybe it's like leftover bias and frustration from the postseason where I thought that they really should have been able to handle the heat that I still think if the Celtics do everything right, they should be a better team than the Miami heat. So that's all to say, They'll be one of the top seeds in the East. Mm-hmm. And honestly, wouldn't shock me if it's one, wouldn't shock me if it's four or five. Uh, the one thing we know is that the Miami Heat will still have the best jerseys in the league. Uh, I was just looking at yeah. the outfits for the uh, upcoming season. And when they play the Celtics, they're doing their, uh, their, their, uh, I forget the desi- what the designated word is for it, but they, they're, they're, they're new jerseys, which are like the, it's a split down the middle with the two different vice colors on the side. It looks amazing. Uh, we've rag on the Celtics jerseys and their new earned Jersey has leaked as well. And it's very green. Um, <laughs> yes. so, uh, I hope they eventually roll the dice a little bit with, uh, with their looks. DJ Bean, you might, be, you might, with all these, with all these takes, I might need you back on the Celtics talk podcast. At some oh, point. dude, I'm so happy to do it. At the beginning of the podcast, you said like, we finally have games to react to. And I thought you were saying this shows what a narcissist <laughs> I am. I thought you were saying like, we finally have DJ. And I was going to be like, dude, I don't think there was like a wait or like a buildup or like, I just can't get DJ this week. I was no, like, we, yeah, I'll, I'm psyched we're, to we're, do it. We're going all legends. We we went Abby and Gorman and now you. So like, look, I, I tell you all y'all, we're, we're, we're bringing you back. But uh, I need everyone to go like, subscribe to the podcast. You can watch us on YouTube. DJ, I got to tell you, the, the YouTube commenters, they're a little feisty. Prepare to be roasted. Luckily, they keep most of their venom for me. Uh, they still make fun of Draper, even though he's been gone for a couple weeks now. And that's <laughs> unfortunate. But that's just the way YouTube goes. We're going to leave you guys today with an interview I did with Aaron Neesmith last week during media day. Had some fun with it. 
talking about cutting down trees and digging ponds. These kids get quite the work ethic and it could translate to the NBA court. Thank you all for joining us. We'll talk to you next time on the Celtics Talk Podcast. All right, Aaron, let's start with just like, how's the first few weeks been going and getting your uh, feet wet as a pro? Uh, it's been good. You know, it's been fun learning a lot, learning a lot fast. Um, having to adjust to a lot of different things all at once has, uh, you know, been a lot and it's been busy. But, you know, this is what I signed up for and I'm enjoying every moment of it and having fun. Uh, I was reading a story on you and it said that you have built multiple chicken coops, dug multiple ponds, and his father made him cut down trees for 12 hours per day. How can those skills translate to the NBA? Uh, just work ethic, hard work, uh, you know, mentality. Um, it's not going to be any physical traits. It's just, it's all the intangibles. You know, it taught me a lot of lessons at a young age that I can uh, bring into the NBA. What is it like digging a pond? Uh, digging a pond? Uh, a lot of work, a lot of sweat, and a lot of times where you tell yourself you want to go home. So. <laughs> One of the things I thought that that stood out was you were the Gatorade player of the year over Zion, right? Yes, sir. What was, what what do you remember from your high school days and what is, what did that kind of prepare you for? Um, You know, we just had a very good high school team, uh, won three state championships in a row. Um, So very blessed to have that opportunity and to play with all those guys. Um, And, you know, winning SEC uh, Gatorade player of the year was just one of the accolades that came with doing uh, such great things as a team and winning basketball games. What, tell me about your relationship with Chris Middleton. Went to the same high school, right? And, and what has he been able to impart to you? Um, a lot of wisdom um, and a lot of help. You know, he's uh, like a big brother to me. Um, anything that I need, he's always there. He's always one phone call away. Uh, I missed a phone call from him today. So um, he's just constantly in my ear, always trying to help me out and, you know, give me any advice that he can. How much did you know about the Celtics? You know, are you watching Chris in the playoffs? Because... Typically, Middleton's best games have come against Boston, and I don't know if there's something about the green that brings it out of him, but uh, you need to ask him for us because he, he's, uh, he tends to put up big numbers against Boston. Yeah, he, he's always had his best games against us for some reason. <laughs> what, what can you learn from his experiences? Like, what, what did he tell you about the NBA and, and just getting ready for this level? You know, to just stay the course. Um, you know, it's a long season. Um, it's a lot to learn. Everything's going to change. The way the season starts for, I mean, for your team or for you individually may not be how the season is necessarily going to end. So being ready for change on the fly and just stay the course and remember to do the things that got you here. Did you know how, so coming into the draft, the Celtics obviously had shooting as a priority, something they they really needed. Did you know you were on their radar? I know they came down to your workout. Um, How much did you know about the Celtics at that point? Um, I mean, I've, I had an interview with them. They came and watched me work out down in Charleston. Um, but I didn't have any idea pretty much up until about five minutes before the pick. What, uh, how do you get, so obviously shooting is your, your, your specialty. How do you get to become a shooter like that? Is that something natural about it or something that you had to really work on to, to get to that level? Um, really work on it. You know, it's dedication and repetition. Um, you look at some of the greatest who ever do it. I mean, they do the same routine every single day. They, they stick to the same principles every single day. So it's definitely a dedication routine and it's an everyday thing for sure. Brad said the other day, he, he doesn't have any questions about your shot. He knows that's going to eventually translate to this level. It's, you know, everything else that you have to get 
uh, up to speed on just because, like any rookie. Um, what has been the biggest transition so far in terms of, you know, what you're trying to grasp or what you've got to learn? Uh, you know, just adjusting to the speed of the game, adjusting to everybody's playing styles, how they like to play, um, the reads that I have to uh, now make, um, you know, just becoming a, a NBA player, you know, it's a big jump from the NBA from college. So um, just getting my feet uh, beneath me and getting ready for the season. How did you choose number 26? Uh, I chose number 26 because 24 was not available. <laughs> you know, 26 was one of the numbers available. Uh, my dad was 26 in high school, so I said I'll be 26. What advice did Jerry Stackhouse give you just about getting ready for the NBA level? He gave me so much advice over the last year that I can't just pick one thing. He always, uh, he just always tried to instill the principles and the foundation that I, he knew I would need coming to the NBA. So, you know, defense, uh, shooting off the move, uh, being able to make the right play, right, uh, right reads, um, all those kind of things. He just made sure that he was always in my ear about them things every day because he knew once I came up here, I was going to have to be able to do those things from day one and do them at a high level. What, uh, what don't people know? I mean, I think, again, you get the reputation. You're such a good shooter that, you know, people look past other aspects of your game. How do you think you can impact at the NBA level, either in your first year or moving forward? Um, you know, just being a hard worker, a guy who's going to go out there and, you know, put his body on the line for the team and make winning plays. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the guy who doesn't necessarily, necessarily do stuff that shows in the stat sheet. Um, you know, just the guy who, from the internal of a basketball standpoint, you know, helps my team win and helps contribute to making uh, winning plays. And now, look, I, I don't think you eat a lot of fast food based on your, your muscle structure, but when I go to South Carolina, that's my favorite thing about there. I eat so much bad food. What's the one fast food restaurant you'll miss that isn't up here in New England? That's food. Uh, I haven't seen a Moe's yet. Oh, well, you're in luck. We have them. Oh, really? Yeah. I, listen, uh, if you could see it, my kids just ordered on the Moe's app. So I, that's, I would say that's, yeah, I have not seen a Moe's yet. So, yeah, I'll probably say that one. All right. Well, I, I think, I'm trying to think where the closest one is out there. Maybe in, maybe in Natick. Yeah, we'll have, to, well, I'll have to hook you up with the directions. But the correct answer is Bojangles. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yo, there's no Bojangles up here? No. The closest Bojangles is in Washington, D.C. What? Yeah, that is so crazy. Brace yourself because it's it's a culture shock. I don't know. Like, <laughs> not being able to get spicy chicken biscuits is, it hurts. Well, what about a Popeyes? Is it a Popeye? We have a couple Popeyes up here, but they're also spread out. Again, I live out about 40 miles west of where you are now, and we have a Popeyes out here. They're, they're scattered about. We can find you a Popeyes. Wow, that's but, crazy. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta change up the That's Popeyes crazy. It's just not the same. I'm sorry. I don't mean to end this interview on a down note, but uh, it, it, they're, the Bojangles, I've been, I've been begging for someone to come north, but they have not yet. I miss that. I miss Zaxby's. There's no Zaxby's? What? I should have said Zaxby's. Zach, I love Zaxby's. That, I don't even know why I said Moe's. I like Zaxby's way more than Moe's. <laughs> so, and look, I'll give you the rundown. There's just not a lot up here. Wow. Yeah, so... 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this this took a, this interview took a real left turn there. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank, first off, thank you so much for for hanging around. But uh, I will be whenever we are allowed to have reporters back in the the practice facility, I'll be bugging you about South Carolina. Yes, sir. Hey, I love I love talking about home. So, thank you. Yeah.